Hi, everybody. Greetings from Atlanta. Welcome to this week's edition of a Trophy Life podcast. I'm Bob Rathman here talking about the brand new college basketball season. Yes, so far so good. Looks like the colleges will be getting ready to play. The date is a little uncertain. Our guest will talk more about that and the leading contender for the Naismith Player of the Year, Iowa's Luca Garzo. All that and more coming up. Our podcast this week is brought to you by Jersey Mike's, where they offer a sub above, one that's measured in more than inches or seconds until served. Jersey Mike's carefully considers every aspect of what they do, every slice, every sandwich, in every store, and they seek to provide their customers with sustenance and substance, too. It's a great sub, Jersey Mike's. He had statistically the most efficient year in college history last season, given the way analytics tracks performance. But even an old-school look at the season numbers will tell you that Iowa's Luca Garza had a season for the ages last year. 23.9 points per game, 9.8 rebounds, 36% from three, a team-high 55 blocks for the 6'11 senior. Garza was a Naismith finalist last year, and as he enters the new season, he comes in as the odds-on favorite to win it this time, after he announced in early August that he would not turn pro and return to the Iowa Hawkeyes for his final season. Last year, Lucas set the Iowa single-season scoring record of 740 points, and in so doing became one of three Big Ten players ever to amass 740 or more points and 300 or more rebounds in a single season. And remember, his season was cut short by the pandemic. He became the first player since Ohio State's Dennis Hobson in 1987 to score 20 or more points in 16 straight Big Ten games. This week, his head coach, Fran McCaffrey, joins us for a detailed look on Luca and a discussion on the start of the new season. Here is Iowa head coach, Fran McCaffrey. A pleasure to be joined by Fran McCaffrey on the line with us from the University of Iowa. Fran, how are you? Thank you for taking time to do this. And first and foremost, how is everybody holding up through the pandemic? Well, well thanks for having me on, Bob. Yeah, we're, we're doing well. Uh, you know, in the beginning, it was very disappointing. You know, we had the Big Ten tournament and the NCAA tournament canceled. So we kind of all took a step back. And I think most of us felt like this thing would, would kind of go away. And, of course, it hasn't. But we actually formulated a you know return to play plan. We invited the guys back in the beginning of June, and they were playing five on five. They were lifting and so forth, which was great. Uh, kind of getting back in shape, back together, and then we started doing some team workouts, and then we had a couple guys get it. So now, obviously, they went into uh, quarantine, and you know we're being treated by our trainers, doctors, et cetera. And the other guys are in quarantine because they were exposed. Uh, they're all better now, and we're back on campus. Started classes yesterday. Uh, we won't do anything for the first week. We'll get everybody reconvened next week, and we'll start up again and, and kind of see how it goes. I think everybody's trying to figure out how this thing is going to go with 30,000 students arriving in the city almost at the same time. So you're expecting somewhat of a spike and I'm sure we'll have a little bit of a spike, uh, but we're socially distanced in class. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I think a lot of the classes are online. 
it's kind of a hybrid situation. So we'll see how it goes. Well, we we know it was a difficult week last week. Um, we know the Big Ten football situation and sports getting uh, eliminated on campus. That was a tough week last week, and now getting everybody back together. It's it's been uh, an interesting time to say the least. Yes, yeah, very unpleasant Friday. You know, we 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 discontinued four sports. Uh, you know, coaches are friends of mine. Our student athletes are all friends together. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm sorry, but uh, you know, I think hopefully that'll be the end of it. You know, it started with the cancellation of football, like you said, Bob. You know, that was difficult enough, and I think we all knew the financial ramifications were going to lead to other things happening, whether it be cancellation of sports, layoffs, furloughs, those kinds of things, which are never pleasant because, you know, I've been here 10 years. These are all friends of mine. I've always coached in an environment where we've had a lot of sports and there's incredible interaction with all the athletes. And you just hate to see that happen. I mean, it was very difficult for our president, Bruce Harold, our athletic director, Gary Barta. It's not something they wanted to do. They tried everything they could. So hopefully, you know, we're, we're through with that side of it and we'll figure out how we can get our football season in the spring and get back to playing basketball. Well, we're so excited, Fran, to have you on because of the coming season. Uh, the great news that came uh, in early August uh, that Luca Garza would be returning to you and Iowa basketball uh, for one more run at it, and uh, obviously you're thrilled to have him back, and and obviously a number one contender for the Naismith Player of the Year. I know you don't get tired of talking about this young man. What a special kid, and what a great, great basketball player. Tell us about this young man. Well, I, I think in many ways he's unique. Uh, because he is, without question, the hardest worker we have, maybe the hardest worker I've ever coached. And so you're thrilled for a guy that works that hard that achieves this kind of success. Uh, he you know, was, was way under-recruited as a young high school player. By the time he was done, he was very heavily recruited, which he earned. And still, you know, appeared to be somewhat under the radar and just kept grinding and just kept grinding and kept getting better. I mean, he was really good as a freshman and as a sophomore, very good. But he had, a, he had major surgery as a sophomore, which I think slowed him down a little bit, not much. But I think what you're seeing is a guy who really developed and completed the picture he could always score and rebound and he was always physically tough and mentally tough. But I think when you watch him now be able to pass out of the double team, to be able to defend ball screens, to be able to play fast. I mean, he could always run, you know, and, and it's funny because a lot of people say, well, he doesn't run that well. Well, watch, watch who gets down the floor first. It's always him. Mm-hmm. And, and he has speed and he has mobility and he understands angles and how to stay out of foul trouble and how to protect the rim and how to protect the paint. And that's what I'm most proud of. I'm most proud of a guy who has worked on things that he wasn't as good at, and now he's really good. So, I mean, if you want to be the national player of the year, you've got to be a complete player, and that's what he is. And you factor in also his incredible three-point shooting for a 6'11 
player who's so good in the low post. I mean, he's as good a low post scorer as we've seen since Kevin McHale. And, and, and now you stretch the floor. You can pick and pop with him. You can pick and roll with him. You, he could be the first post down. You can hit him right away, or he could be the trailer, and he can shot fake one dribble pull up. He can hit the trail three from, you know, 26 feet. Uh, just an incredible weapon. But as I said, I mean, zero maintenance off the floor. A great teammate, a great leader in the locker room, terrific student. We're just thrilled that he's a Hawkeye. Yeah. You know, the stats, friend, obviously pop right off the sheet when you look at them. But what strikes me in watching him last season is the efficiency with which he plays. And you just hit on it. Uh, so versatile. Um I think that's what makes you know him so unique because the age of the big man now is you just don't have the low post exclusively um, big guys that just run to the block and stay there. You know you got to be able to do all those things that you just talked about and and Luca I thought you know last year how could he get any better? I mean he was really really good. Yes, I think that's a great point. You know the days of of. A guy standing down there and four people around him, and you throw it in and you just play from there. Those days are over. You know you have to be able to play facing the basket. You have to be able to play three point line and in. And otherwise, the defenses collapse around him and just just gobble him up, and there's just no space. Now, clearly, he's as I said, you know the best low post player in college basketball last year. So we're going to throw it to him in there. But we're going to move him around and make it really difficult to scheme against him. And the one thing about our league last year, it was a particularly good league for big men. Now, a lot of teams went to four smalls and one big, uh, and essentially that's what we started. But you think about Caleb Weston at Ohio State, Jalen Smith at Maryland, John Teske, Michigan, Mike Watkins at Penn State, Nate Reavers at Wisconsin, uh, Arms and Williams at Purdue. I mean, every team in our league had a really, really good big man. And when you look at his numbers on a consistent basis in our conference, and I always go back to the one game, I don't remember, I think it was the Purdue game at home. Uh, I'm thinking, man, you know, they're doing a really good job on him. They're rotating their bigs. And uh, they're making it hard for him. And he had 26 and 13, you know, and I'm thinking, wow, they did a really good job on him. But that's when you know you have somebody who's great. You know, they did a great job on him. And and there there was, there were, you know, he's 38 at Indiana and was in foul trouble a little bit. You know, that was just hard to believe. So his numbers consistently. But I think the one story that that, that I always tell that I think people marvel at it was the uh, Texas Tech game in, in Las Vegas. He gets busted in the mouth. He's back in the locker room. We're trying to hold on to a lead, and they had to stitch him up. And he said, we don't have time, you know, to for pain meds or needles. Just stitch it right now. So they stitched him up on his lip with no Novocaine or anything. So he could get back and play the last two minutes of the game and help us win. That's a tough guy right there. Yes, sir. And well, and and that's kind of how he, that's what he brings every day, essentially. Well, if if basketball doesn't work out for him, maybe the National Hockey League, you know, with that kind of an attitude. Kind of 
I think that's a great comparison. He's <laughs> like a hockey player. Just, you know, get your teeth knocked out, spit them out, and just keep going. Yeah, don't miss don't a miss shift. Don't miss a shift kind of guy he is. You know, you you talked about him being under-recruited. Of course, in high school, his high school coach was Chuck Grizzell. And, of course, with Chuck comes lefty. And uh, all I can – I can hear him now, Fran. I told you he could play. You know, I can hear him now. Um uh, you know, well, get he, it. He's just, he's, he, he, he said that. He told a lot of people. And it, it was one of those things where it all happened for Luca. It just took a little longer than it should have. Okay, so early on it was mid-major schools, and, and I saw him in an AAU tournament play against my son. And we offered him as a sophomore. And then little by little, high mid-major teams, lower – teams into power five and by by the end of his summer uh, of his junior year he pretty much had everybody it just took a little bit longer the other thing was he played on a very high profile aau team team takeover out of out of washington dc and they had probably eight or nine division one players on that team so when you went to watch him you know he might get 15 but he you know he wasn't getting all the touches i mean they had Really, really good players. DJ Harvey went to Notre Dame, and Likes, who went, you know, goes to Miami. I mean, there's a number of guys on that team with him, all of whom played Division One. So, you know, he's one of those things where, like, if you just really studied him, and you studied, here's a guy who runs as hard as he possibly can every time, down the floor on offense and back on defense. That is a talent. Not everybody does that. And so the people that say he doesn't run well, they are clearly not watching the games that Luca Garza plays in because he is the first and fastest guy down the floor every time. And he knows how to post. He catches everything. He finishes everything. He gets to the free throw line. And if there's anything at all that he's not completely proficient in, He'll be in the gym for hour after hour after hour. His father, Frank, has a great way of, of really pushing him without making it miserable for him, where, where it's still fun for him. Uh, and, and, and I think he loves the challenge and the competition. And, uh, you know, I'm just thrilled to get a chance to coach him. And Frank, his dad, he played college ball too, did he not? He sure did at uh, Idaho State. And what Luca would do in high school at the end of the summer when everybody is finished with the AAU season that basically went through the spring an entire summer and everybody's looking to take a little bit of a vacation for one week or so before school starts, he would go to Hawaii and train with uh, Frank's college coach, Bill Trumbo, and work for two weeks. I mean, they would be wearing weighted vests, running up volcanoes, and, and getting in the gym three times a day, transforming his body. You know, he went from being kind of a wide-body kid to a leaner to now what is a very muscular, powerful athlete. We cannot wait to watch him play, which leads me to my next question. What, as we record this on August 25th, what is the latest – Fran, that you're hearing uh, about getting started uh, vis-a-vis 
the first game, which of course relates back to the first practice that you can conduct? As of right now, none of the schedules have changed. So you're looking at you know September 29th or so, uh, and then uh, first game the beginning of November, maybe November 8th in that range. I don't have the dates exactly, but roughly. Uh, but then what we also have, okay, we looked at, okay, what if we push practice back to October 15th, like the old days, right? Mm-hmm. And push the games back to maybe the right after Thanksgiving. Or then we push back a little bit further and then look at maybe playing only games in December, nothing in November. Because uh, the kids will be home anyway, because after Thanksgiving, they're sending the kids home. We're not bringing it back till the second semester. So you could do some bubble type events. Or you push it back even further, start practice later, start the games later, you know, maybe more into January and February, or January, February. So now maybe you're looking at conference games only. Maybe, you know, for us it would be 26 conference games, maybe with a few others. Uh, could we do bubble events? So I think what's, what we're talking about is sort of everything's on the table. But we have a return-to-play committee that's – evaluating all of these scheduling options and how do we protect the NCAA tournament so we don't go two years in a row without one. Uh, but what are the major concerns of, of the presidents and the Board of Regents that might have concern playing at all? And let's make sure we get together with the medical personnel and figure out the best way we can turn to replay, return to play where people feel safe and are excited to get back and watch college basketball because there's so many great teams, so many great players. And, and uh, I think you're seeing it now with, you know, at least we're able to watch the NBA. There's no fans. And, you know, will there be fans? We don't know that. Will there be fans later? You know, maybe later towards the end of the year, maybe by the NCAA tournament. You know, obviously we're all talking about will a vaccine appear between now and then, you know, probably closer to the first of the year. So that would impact it. So I don't know that there's any definitive answers, but there's an incredible amount of discussion. And I think the fact that we're proactive as as an organization, you know, the NCAA basketball group, you know, with Danny Gavin in charge, who's obviously as good as it gets, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think we'll, we'll play and we'll have an NCAA tournament. Yeah, we, we have to. Um, one, we'll leave, leave it on this, Fran. Uh, you will enjoy... Uh, what many of your colleagues have enjoyed in the past, and that's coaching your sons. Uh, you get Patrick and Connor this year. Uh, wow, that's got to be just a thrill. And I wonder how uh, the other coach in the household, Mama, uh, takes to <laughs> takes to the treatment that you're going to be providing. <laughs> well, well, it, it's it's really something special, you know. And it, it, you would expect me to say, "Oh, it's great." Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, what it means is every day I get to see my sons and be around them, watch them grow. You think back, you know, you and I were talking before uh, we started the podcast, the old Sienna days. You know, our our kids, our, my two boys grew up traveling with the team, sitting on the bench, coming to practice. They did the same thing at Iowa. They did the same thing when we when I was at UNC Greensboro. So now they're actually on the plane, in the locker room, performing. Uh, 
Connor had a terrific season last year, led the nation in assist turnover ratio. Began the season as our starting point guard. When Jordan Bohannon was ready, we moved him in there. And then he moved to the four spot. And then when Jordan had surge, we moved Joe Toussaint into the point guard position, left Connor at the four spot. You know, we didn't come into the season and think he'd be the four man. But uh, you know, watching Patrick develop, uh, you know, he redshirted last year, medical redshirt, uh, due to some residual health effects from when he had cancer when he was 13. So he's healthy now, and he's really talented. It'll be fun to have them out there. It'll be fun when they're out there together sometimes. Uh, you know, in, in terms of my wife, you know, I think it'll be enjoyable, but I, I have to admit it would be somewhat stressful for her sitting in the stands. You know, uh, are they getting enough playing time to be happy? Are they are they playing well? Do they feel good about themselves? You know, do they have a stinker and they don't play as much and now they're down? And, you know, you as we all know, you're only ever as happy as your unhappiest child. So, you know, she just wants to come to the games and everything go well. We, as you know, Bob, live in an incredibly small world in terms of social media. And I think what the players go through today in terms of criticism from a variety of locations is unlike anything we've ever seen. You know, I played college basketball, and, you know, some guy in the stands might yell at you if you turned it over, but that was about it. Now, you know, you're getting attacked viciously if you have a bad game, and there's incredible pressure on these kids. You know, and as a dad, as a parent, you know, we all feel it. But uh, I think when you look at the overall experience, having the opportunity to play in the Big Ten, having the opportunity to play with your brother, for your father, have those young men in my locker room, watch Connor be a leader, uh, watch them bond with their friends, guys that they knew since high school, it's just, it's been an incredible ride, and, and I'm looking forward to, you know, having Connor and Patrick together for two more years and then, you know, Patrick for two years after that. Wow. Well said. Fran, thank you. Uh, we'll be watching every Iowa game with great interest. Uh, you know, Luca's right at the top of the list for Naismith. So uh, you've got uh, a lot of fans around the country watching you and uh, keeping tabs on Iowa and Thank you so much for taking time to be with us. We, I really do appreciate it, and, uh, and great stuff today. Thank you. Well, Bob, thank you. I really appreciate you having me on. I really appreciate you recognizing Luca, and I look forward to seeing you soon, my man. If you haven't already, we would really appreciate it if you would leave us a rating and review. Your support makes A Trophy Life possible, and we love getting the feedback. It only helps to improve the show, so thank you in advance for that. Our great friends at Jersey Mike's bringing you this week's edition of a Trophy Life podcast. That'll do it for this edition. Until we see you next week, stay healthy, stay safe, and we'll see you next time. From Atlanta, Bob Rathbun saying so long.